0: Hello and welcome to this special edition of Based on a True Story. What's so special about it? Well, today isn't a normal episode. Today you're getting access to one of the mini-sodes that Based on a True Story producers get to enjoy on the exclusive producer's feed. These are released over there every other week or in between the fortnightly regular episodes you're used to hearing. Now, if you've never heard of a mini-sode before, there's one key difference between mini-sodes and the regular episodes— of course, minisodes are minier than regular episodes, but that's not actually what I'm talking about because, in all honesty, some minisodes end up being just as long or even longer than full-length episodes. So, the one key difference I'm referring to has to do with a topic. As you know, on a normal episode of Based on a True Story, we look at movies that claim to be, well, based on a true story. On minisodes, we take an opposite approach and look at movies that are clearly fictional but still have just a little bit of history in them, just enough to make them seem realistic. For example, we've looked at movies like Captain America, The First Avenger, to see how some of the things it depicts about World War II hold up. Or the Pirates of the Caribbean, and some of the real pirate code that the movie talks about. But that's not all. We've covered The Mummy, The Rocketeer, The Jungle Book, and even some movies that don't start with the, like Tomb Raider, Twister, and Christmas Vacation. All of those are released exclusively to the producer's feed, and that doesn't even include all the extra bonus episodes. Those are documents or things that I find while researching the regular episodes, like the two hours of bonus content in the form of the FBI report about Robert Hansen, the story we covered in the episode about the movie Breach. Those are a little more sporadic, as they happen when I uncover things during research, but they're released alongside the mini sods exclusively on the producer's feed. If you want to get instant access to all those and a lot more bonus content, along with any future bonus episodes and mini-sodes that are released, you can become a a base-on-a-true-story producer for as little as, well, whatever you want. It's on a pay-what-you-want model. You'll notice there's no ads on this podcast, although you could rightfully make the case that this is an ad right here, but There's no ads for mattresses, underwear, or audiobooks, and that's by choice. When you become a producer, every single penny you donate goes right back into paying for the numerous costs of the podcast so that I can keep it going and keep it ad-free. The bonus content is just my little way of saying thank you. You can get instant access right now over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash support. Once again, that's basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash support. Alrighty, with that explained, let's continue on with today's mini-sode. Now, if you haven't already seen the title of this mini-sode, let's see if you can guess what movie we'll be covering today with these facts. Number one, the two lead roles are played by actors Scott Wanger and Linda Larkin. Number two, The movie we're covering today was written and directed by the team who also wrote and directed Disney's Moana. That would be Ron Clements and John Musker. Number three, your last clue is that today's movie won two Oscars, one for Best Original Score and another one for Best Original Song. Figured it out yet? I'm sure you have, but just in case those clues haven't rung a bell. You'll know exactly what movie it is when I say that Gilbert Gottfried voiced the parrot Iago and Robin Williams plays the big blue genie. By the way, the name of the song that won the Oscar in 1993 for the film that was released the previous year is called A Whole New World, a duet between the two lead characters Princess Jasmine and Aladdin. Let's kick off our look at the real history behind Disney's Aladdin by answering the most basic question overall. Was Aladdin a real person? Well, the truth is, we don't know. The story of Aladdin is one of those legends that has been passed on from generation to generation. Think of it sort of like the stories of King Arthur or Mulan. By that, what I mean is that there is a good chance that the original story was created around a real person. But that was thousands of years ago, and we just don't know how much of the story that we know of today is based on the real person. Or maybe it's based on an amalgamation of multiple people. Or maybe it was a story based on someone's imagination. What we do know is that the story of Aladdin is one that has been told in many different versions. As best as we can tell, the earliest of those versions comes as but one of many tales told in the Book of One Thousand and One Nights, The Arabian Nights. That's the same book of folk tales that include two other stories that have also gone on to be very popular Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves, and The Seven Voyages of Sinbad the Sailor. What's interesting, though, is that none of those three stories, the most popular stories from that book of folk tales, were a part of the original Arabic texts. It seemed that they were added by a French archaeologist named Antoine Galland. He published the stories in a 12-volume set between the years 1704 and 1717. When he translated the stories for his volume, he added the story of Aladdin. So, where did Galen get the story from? That's a good question. Some historians believe perhaps he found them and added them, much in the same way he translated other stories in The Thousand and One Nights from their original Arabic text. The catch to Aladdin's story, though, is That we don't know of any Arabic versions of it prior to Gallin's book. That's why the three most popular stories from his book that we learned about a moment ago, including Aladdin's, have become known as the Orphan Texts. Some historians think perhaps he invented the tale of Aladdin to include in the book. So I'm afraid, like many things in history, for now, we'll have to be alright with not knowing the answer for sure. What we do know is that after Gallan's version of the story, there have been many others, including plenty of movies. Disney's version may be one of the most popular, but it wasn't the first. It wasn't even the first animated version of the tale. There was an animated film called The Adventures of Prince Ahmed that was based on the stories of Aladdin released in 1926. There was also an animated version from the Popeye cartoons in 1939, another animated version called 1001 Arabian Nights, released in 1959, and yet another animated version released in French in 1970, and then an animated version in Japan in 1982. But the story lives beyond just movies. There were books, pantomimes, theatrical plays, and many more versions of the tale. In English, probably the most popular version of these came into the picture in 1885 when Englishman Richard Burton translated Gallen's book into English in a book he called The Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night. That's day-night, not night, as in the Knights of the round table. So that leads us to the next question to answer today. If Disney's version of Aladdin's story isn't the first... How different is that one from some of the others? Well, a lot. For one, Princess Jasmine was created for the Disney version. Although, to be fair, it's not like Aladdin doesn't have a love interest in the story. She's just not named Jasmine in any of them prior to Disney's version. In many versions of the story, she doesn't even have a name. She's simply the princess. In other versions of the story, she does have a name, and it's not Jasmine. It's Badralbador which is Arabic for full moon of full moons. Now, if you're a fan of the movie, most certainly you're a fan of the great songs. After all, that's why it won so many awards for the music. What are your favorite songs? I think for me it'd have to be the song the movie begins with, Arabian Nights. Of course, if that sounds familiar from what we've talked about so far, that title comes from the title of Antoine Gallen's book that's called The Thousand and One Nights, and then in parentheses, Arabian Nights. Other than the Arabian Nights song from the movie, though, my next favorite would have to be One Jump Ahead. And that song also has some elements based on the folktale of Aladdin. You remember that song? I'll save you the singing, but we see Aladdin swinging from the streets with his friendly monkey, Abu, as the crowd sings to the tune, riffraff, street rat, scoundrel, take that. That's Something that could have come from the original tale. As the story goes, Aladdin was the son of a poor tailor and played in the streets all day long, so much so that his father grieved over his son's ways, leading to his death. Of course, that's not in the movie, though, but then neither is Aladdin's mother, who plays more of an important role in the folktale. Speaking of which, probably the biggest difference between Disney's version of the story and the legend is the location of those streets Aladdin roamed. You see, They were not in the Middle East. Going back to the title of Gallen's book, it's easy to see why, with a book called Arabian Nights and the title, it might contain stories of the Middle East. And it does, just not Aladdin. The original story of Aladdin was set in China. And while there's nothing to the story to give specifics about his heritage, most historians agree that because of where it's set, Prince Aladdin was Chinese. That seems like a reasonable conclusion. You'll notice I said Prince Aladdin. That's a far cry from Street Rat. And that's because much of the original tale is set after Aladdin becomes the prince, not during his days living on the street. Now, if you're wondering how a child doing nothing with his life and living on the street could become the prince, well, that's where the genie comes into the picture. But at this point... I sort of get the sense that I'm pretty much explaining what the original story is like. And I think there's a better way to do this. Because the original story is an ancient folktale, why not just share the original story itself? Well, as I mentioned before, there's many versions of the story from over the millennia, but I suppose we have to pick one of them. So this is one of the versions closest to the movie that I could find translated into English. This is the story of Aladdin and the Magic Lamp. There once lived a poor tailor who had a son called Aladdin, a careless, idle boy who would do nothing but play all day long in the streets with little idle boys like himself. This so grieved the father that he died. Yet, in spite of his mother's tears and prayers, Aladdin did not mend his ways. One day... When he was playing in the streets, as usual, a stranger asked him his age and if he was not the son of Mustafa the tailor. "'I am, sir,' replied Aladdin, but he died a long while ago. On this the stranger, who was a famous African magician, fell on his neck and kissed him, saying, "'I am your uncle, and knew you from your likeness to my brother. Go to your mother and tell her I am coming.' Aladdin ran home and told his mother of the newly found uncle." Indeed, child, she said, your father had a brother, but I always thought he was dead. However, she prepared supper and bade Aladdin seek his uncle, who came laden with wine and fruit. He fell down and kissed the place where Mustafa used to sit, bidding Aladdin's mother not to be surprised at not having seen him before, as he had been forty years out of the country. He then turned to Aladdin and asked him his trade, at which the boy hung his head, while his mother burst into tears. On learning that Aladdin was idle and would learn no trade, he offered to take a shop for him and stock it with merchandise. The weather's getting nicer, which means now is the perfect time to plan ahead for summer fun. Personally, I'm hoping to be able to visit my family this summer, and that means booking flights as soon as possible before the prices go up. And now you can help ensure your money is there when you need it with today's sponsor, Earn In. Just download the Earn In app, verify your paycheck, and watch your earnings tick up as you work. Access up to $100 a day and up to $750 per pay period so you can start making your summer plans now. It's free and easy to get started. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under Podcast when you sign up it'll really help the show true story under podcast earn in is a financial technology company not a bank subject to your available earnings daily max pay period max and location see earn slash tos for details bank products are issued by evolve bank and trust member fdic thanks earn in Next day, he bought Aladdin a fine suit of clothes and took him all over the city, showing him the sights, and brought him home at nightfall to his mother, who was overjoyed to see her mother so fine. Next day, the magician led Aladdin into some beautiful gardens a long way outside the city gates. They sat by a fountain, and the magician pulled a cake from his girdle, which he divided between them. Then they journeyed onward till they almost reached the mountains. Aladdin was so tired that he begged to go back, but the magician beguiled him with pleasant stories and led him on in spite of himself. At last, they came to two mountains divided by a narrow valley. We will go no farther, said his uncle. I will show you something wonderful. Only do you gather up sticks while I kindle a fire. When it was lit, the magician threw on it a powder he had about him, at the same time saying some magical words. The earth trembled a little in front of them, disclosing a square flat stone with a brass ring in the middle to raise it by. Aladdin tried to run away, but the magician caught him and gave him a blow that knocked him down. What have I done, uncle? he said piteously, whereupon the magician said more kindly, Fear nothing, but obey me. Beneath this stone lies a treasure, which is to be yours, and no one else may touch it. So you must do exactly as I tell you. At the word treasure, Aladdin forgot his fears and grasped the ring as he was told, saying the names of his father and grandfather. The stone came up quite easily and some steps appeared. Go down, said the magician. At the foot of those steps you will find an open door leading into three large halls. Tuck up your gown and go through them without touching anything, or you will die instantly. These halls lead into a garden of fine fruit trees Walk on till you come to a niche in the terrace where stands a lighted lamp. Pour out the oil it contains and bring it to me. He drew a ring from his finger and gave it to Aladdin, bidding him prosper. Aladdin found everything as the magician had said, gathered some fruit off the trees, and having got the lamp, arrived at the mouth of the cave. The magician cried out in a great hurry, make haste and give me the lamp. This Aladdin refused to do until he was out of the cave. The magician flew into a terrible passion and throwing some more powder onto the fire he said something and the stone rolled back into its place. The man left the country which plainly showed that he was no uncle of Aladdin's but a cunning magician who had read in his magic books of a wonderful lamp which could make him the most powerful man in the world. Though he alone knew where to find it, he could only receive it from the hand of another. He had picked out the foolish Aladdin for this purpose, intending to get the lamp and kill him afterwards. For two days Aladdin remained in the dark, crying and lamenting. At last he clasped his hands in prayer and in so doing rubbed the ring which the magician had forgotten to take from him. Immediately an enormous and frightful genie rose out of the earth, saying, What wouldst thou with me? I am the slave of the ring, and I will obey thee in all things. Aladdin fearlessly replied, Deliver me from this place, whereupon the earth opened, and he found himself outside. As soon as his eyes could bear the light, he went home, but fainted on the threshold. When he came to himself, he told his mother what had passed, and showed her the lamp and the fruits he had gathered in the garden, which were, in reality, precious stones. He then asked for some food. Alas, child, she said, I have nothing in the house, but I have spun a little cotton, and will go sell it. Aladdin bade her keep her cotton, for he would sell the lamp instead. As it was very dirty, she began to rub it. Then it might fetch a higher price. Instantly, a hideous genie appeared and asked what she would have. She fainted away, but Aladdin, snatching the lamp, said boldly, Fetch me something to eat. The genie returned with a silver bowl. Twelve silver plates containing rich meats, two silver cups, and two bottles of wine. Aladdin's mother, when she came to herself, said, Whence comes this splendid feast? Ask not, but eat, replied Aladdin. So they sat at breakfast till it was dinner time. And Aladdin told his mother about the lamp. She begged him to sell it and have nothing to do with devils. No, said Aladdin, since chance hath made us aware of its virtues, we will use it and the ring likewise, which I shall always wear on my finger." When they had eaten all the genie had brought, Aladdin sold one of the silver plates, and so on, until none were left. He then had recourse to the genie, who gave him another set of plates, and thus they lived many years. One day, Aladdin heard an order from the sultan proclaimed that everyone was to stay at home and close his shutters while the princess, his daughter, went to and from the bath. Aladdin was seized by a desire to see her face, which was very difficult, as she always went veiled. He hid himself behind the door of the bath and peeped through a chink. The princess lifted her veil as she went in and looked so beautiful that Aladdin fell in love with her at first sight. He went home so changed that his mother was frightened. He told her he loved the princess so deeply that he could not live without her and meant to ask her in marriage of her father. His mother, upon hearing this, burst out laughing, but Aladdin at last prevailed upon her to go before the Sultan and carry on his request. She fetched a napkin and laid it in the magic fruits from the enchanted garden, which sparkled and shone like the most beautiful jewels. She took these with her to please the sultan and set out, trusting in the lamp. The grand vizier and the lords of council had just gone in as she entered the hall and placed herself in front of the sultan. He, however, took no notice of her. She went every day for a week and stood in the same place. When the council broke up on the sixth day, the sultan said to his vizier, I see a certain woman in the audience chamber every day carrying something in a napkin. Call her next time that I may find out what she wants. The next day, at a sign from the vizier, she went up to the foot of the throne and remained kneeling until the sultan said to her, Rise, good woman, and tell me what you want. She hesitated, so the sultan sent away all but the vizier and bade her speak freely, promising to forgive her beforehand for anything she might say. She then told him of her son's violent love for the princess. I prayed him to forget her, she said, but in vain. He threatened to do some desperate deed if I refused to go and ask your majesty for the hand of the princess. Now I pray you to forgive me not alone, but my son, Aladdin." The sultan asked her kindly what she had in the napkin, whereupon she unfolded the jewels and presented them. He was thunderstruck and, turning to the vizier, said, What sayest thou? Ought I not to bestow the princess on one who values her at such a price? The vizier, who wanted her for his own son, begged the sultan to withhold her for three months, in the course of which he hoped his son could contrive to make him a richer present. The sultan granted this and told Aladdin's mother that, though he consented to the marriage, she must not appear before him again for three months. Aladdin waited patiently for nearly three months. But after two had elapsed, his mother, going into the city to buy oil, found everyone rejoicing and asked what was going on. Do you not know, was the answer, that the son of the Grand Vizier is to marry the sultan's daughter tonight? Breathless, she ran and told Aladdin, who was overwhelmed at first, but presently bethought him of the lamp. He rubbed it, and the genie appeared, saying, What is thy will? Aladdin replied, The sultan, as thou knowest, has broken his promise to me, and the vizier's son is to have the princess. My command is that tonight you bring hither the bride and bridegroom. Master, I obey, said the genie. Aladdin then went to his chamber where... Sure enough, at midnight, the genie transported the bed containing the vizier's son and the princess. Take this new married man, he said, and put him outside in the cold, and return at daybreak. Whereupon, the genie took the vizier's son out of bed, leaving Aladdin with the princess. Fear nothing, Aladdin said to her. You are my wife, promised to me by your unjust father, and no harm will come to you. The princess was too frightened to speak, and passed the most miserable night of her life, while Aladdin lay down beside her and slept soundly. At the appointed hour, the genie fetched in the shivering bridegroom, laid him in his place, and transported the bed back to the palace. Presently, the sultan came to wish his daughter good morning. The unhappy vizier's son jumped up and hid himself, while the princess would not say a word and was very sorrowful. The sultan sent her mother to her, who said, "'How comes it, child, that you will not speak to your father what has happened?' The princess sighed deeply, and at last told her mother how, during the night, the bed had been carried into some strange house and what had passed there. Her mother did not believe her in the least, but bade her rise and consider it an idle dream. The following night, exactly the same thing happened, and the next morning, on the princess's refusing to speak, the sultan threatened to cut off her head. She then confessed all, bidding him to ask the vizier's son if it were not so. The sultan told the vizier to ask his son, who owned the truth, adding that, Dearly as he loved the princess, he had rather die than go through such another fearful night and wished to be separated from her. His wish was granted, and there was an end of feasting and rejoicing. When the three months were over, Aladdin sent his mother to remind the sultan of his promise— She stood in the same place as before, and the sultan, who had forgotten Aladdin, at once remembered him and sent for her. On seeing her poverty, the sultan felt less inclined than ever to keep his word and asked his vizier's advice, who counseled him to set so high a value on the princess that no man living would come up to it. The sultan then turned to Aladdin's mother, saying, Good woman, a sultan must remember his promises, and I will remember mine. But your son must first send me forty basins of gold, brimful of jewels, carried by forty black slaves, led by as many white ones, splendidly dressed. Tell him that I await his answer. The mother of Aladdin bowed low and went home, thinking all was lost. She gave Aladdin the message, adding, He may wait long enough for your answer. Not so long, mother, as you think, her son replied. I would do a great deal more than that for the princess. He summoned the genie, and in a few moments the eighty slaves arrived and filled up the small house and garden. Aladdin made them set out to the palace, two by two, followed by his mother. They were so richly dressed with such splendid jewels that everyone crowded to see them and the basins of gold they carried on their heads. They entered the palace and, after kneeling before the sultan, stood in a half-circle round the throne with their arms crossed while Aladdin's mother presented them to the sultan. He hesitated no longer but said, Good woman, return and tell your son that I wait for him with open arms. She lost no time in telling Aladdin, bidding him make haste. But Aladdin first called the genie. I want a scented bath, he said, a richly embroidered habit, a horse "'surpassing the sultans and twenty slaves to attend me. "'Besides this, six slaves beautifully dressed to wait on my mother, "'and lastly ten thousand pieces of gold in ten purses. "'No sooner said than done. "'Aladdin mounted his horse and passed through the streets, "'the slaves strewing gold as they went. "'Those who had played with him in his childhood knew him not. "'He had grown so handsome.' When the sultan saw him, he came down from his throne, embraced him, and led him into a hall where a feast was spread, intending to marry him to the princess that very day. But Aladdin refused, saying, I must build a palace fit for her, and took his leave. Once home, he said to the genie, Build me a palace of the finest marble, set with jasper, agate, and other precious stones. In the middle you shall build me a large hall with a dome, its four walls of massy gold and silver. Each side having six windows, whose lattices, all except one, which is to be left unfinished, must be set with diamonds and rubies. There must be stables and horses and grooms and slaves. Go and see about it. The palace was finished the next day, and the genie carried him there and showed him all his orders faithfully carried out, even to the laying of a velvet carpet from Aladdin's palace to the Sultan's. Aladdin's mother then dressed herself carefully and walked to the palace with her slaves while he followed her on horseback. The sultan sent musicians with trumpets and cymbals to meet them so that the air resounded with music and cheers. She was taken to the princess who saluted her and treated her with great honor. At night the princess said goodbye to her father and set out on the carpet for Aladdin's palace with his mother at her side and followed by the hundred slaves. She was charmed at the sight of Aladdin, who ran to receive her. Princess, he said, blame your beauty for my boldness if I have displeased you. She told him that, having seen him, she willingly obeyed her father in this matter. After the wedding had taken place, Aladdin led her into the hall where a feast was spread, and she supped with him, after which they danced till midnight. Next day, Aladdin invited the sultan to see the palace. On entering the hall with the four and twenty windows with their rubies, diamonds, and emeralds, he cried, It is a world's wonder. There is only one thing that surprises me. Was it by accident that one window was left unfinished? No, sir, by design, returned Aladdin. I wished your majesty to have the glory of finishing off this palace. The sultan was pleased and sent for the best jewelers in the city. He showed them the unfinished window and bade them, fitted up like the others. Sir, replied their spokesman, we cannot find enough jewels. The sultan had his own fetched, which they soon used, but to no purpose, for in a month's time the work was not half done. Aladdin, knowing that their task was in vain, bade them undo their work and carry the jewels back, and the genie finished the window at his command. The sultan was surprised to receive his jewels again and visited Aladdin, who showed him the window finished. The sultan embraced him, the envious vizier, meanwhile, hinting that it was the work of enchantment. Aladdin had won the hearts of the people by his gentle bearing. He was made captain of the sultan's armies and won several battles for him, but remained as courteous as ever and lived thus in peace and content for several years. But far away, in Africa, the magician remembered Aladdin and by his magic arts discovered that Aladdin, instead of perishing miserably in the cave, had escaped and married a princess with whom he was living in great honor and wealth. He knew that the poor tailor's son could only have accomplished this by means of the lamp, and traveled night and day till he reached the capital of China, bent on Aladdin's ruin. As he passed through the town, he heard people talking everywhere about a marvelous palace. Forgive my ignorance, he asked, but... What is the palace you speak of? Have you not heard of Prince Aladdin's palace, was the reply, the greatest wonder in the world? I will direct you, if you have a mind, to see it. The magician thanked him who spoke, and, having seen the palace, knew that it was raised by the genie of the lamp, and became half mad with rage. He determined to get a hold of the lamp, and again plunge Aladdin into the deepest poverty. Unluckily, Aladdin had gone a-hunting for eight days, which gave the magician plenty of time. He bought a dozen lamps put them into a basket, and went to the palace, crying, New lamps for old! Followed by a jeering crowd. The princess, sitting in the hall of four and twenty windows, sent a slave to find out what the noise was about, who came back laughing so that the princess scolded her. Madam, replied the slave, Who can help laughing to see an old fool offering to exchange fine new lamps for old ones? Another slave, hearing this, said, There is an old one on the cornice there which he can have. Now, this was the magic lamp which Aladdin had left there as he could not take it out hunting with him. The princess, not knowing its value, laughingly bade the slaves take it and make the exchange. She went and said to the magician, give me a new lamp for this. He snatched it and bade the slave take her choice amid the jeers of the crowd. Little he cared, but left off crying his lamps and went out the city gates to a lonely place where he remained till nightfall when he pulled out the lamp and rubbed it. The genie appeared and at the magician's command carried him together with the palace and the princess in it to a lonely place in Africa. The next morning, the sultan looked out the window toward Aladdin's palace and rubbed his eyes, for it was gone. He sent for the vizier and asked what had become of the palace. The vizier looked out too and was lost in astonishment. He again put it down to enchantment, and this time the sultan believed him and sent thirty men on horseback to fetch Aladdin back in chains. They met him riding home, bound him, and forced him to go with them on foot. The people, however, who loved him, followed, armed, to see that he came to no harm. He was carried before the Sultan, who ordered the executioner to cut off his head. The executioner made Aladdin kneel down, bandaged his eyes, and raised his scimitar to strike. At that instant, the vizier, who saw that the crowd had forced their way into the courtyard and were scaling the walls to rescue Aladdin, called to the executioner to stay his hand. The people, indeed, looked so threatening that the sultan gave way and ordered Aladdin to be unbound and pardoned him in the sight of the crowd. Aladdin now begged to know what he had done. False wretch, said the sultan, come hither, and showed him from the window the place where his palace had stood. Aladdin was so amazed he could not say a word. Where is your palace and my daughter? demanded the sultan. For the first I am not so deeply concerned, but my daughter I must have, and you must find her or lose your head. Aladdin begged for forty days in which to find her, promising if he failed to return to suffer death at the sultan's pleasure. His prayer was granted, and he went forth sadly from the sultan's presence. For three days he wandered about like a madman, asking everyone what had become of his palace, but they only laughed and pitied him. He came to the banks of a river and knelt down to say his prayers before throwing himself in. In doing so, he rubbed the ring he still wore. The genie he had seen in the cave appeared and asked his will. Save my life, genie, said Aladdin, and bring my palace back. That is not in my power, said the genie. I am only the slave of the ring. You must ask him of the lamp. Even so, said Aladdin. But thou canst take me to the palace and set me down under my dear wife's window. He at once found himself in Africa under the window of the princess and fell asleep out of sheer weariness. He was awakened by the singing of the birds and his heart was lighter. He saw plainly that all his misfortunes were owing to the loss of the lamp and vainly wondered who had robbed him of it. That morning the princess rose earlier than she had done since she had been carried into Africa by the magician whose company she was forced to endure once a day. She, however, treated him so harshly that he dared not live there altogether. As she was dressing, one of her women looked out and saw Aladdin. The princess ran and opened the window and at the noise she made, Aladdin looked up. She called to him to come to her and great was the joy of these lovers at seeing each other again. After he had kissed her, Aladdin said, I beg of you, princess, in God's name, before we speak of anything else for your own sake and mine, tell me what has become of an old lamp I left on the cornice in the hall of four and twenty windows when I went a-hunting. Alas, she said, I am the innocent cause of our sorrows, and told him of the exchange of the lamp. Now I know, cried Aladdin, that we have to thank the African magician for this. Where is the lamp? He carries it about with him," said the princess. I know, for he pulled it out of his breast to show me. He wishes me to break my faith with you and marry him, saying that you were beheaded by my father's command. He is forever speaking ill of you, and I only reply by my tears. If I persist, I doubt not, but he will use violence." Aladdin comforted her and left her for a while. He changed clothes with the first person he met with in town. And, having bought a certain powder, returned to the princess, who let him in by a little side door. Put on your most beautiful dress, he said to her, and receive the magician with smiles, leading him to believe that you had forgotten me. Invite him to sup with you, and say you wish to taste the wine of his country. He will go for some, and while he was gone, I will tell you what to do. She listened carefully to Aladdin, and when he left her, arrayed herself gaily for the first time since she left China. She put on a girdle and headdress of diamonds, and seeing in the glass that she was more beautiful than ever, received the magician, saying, to his great amazement, I have made up my mind that Aladdin is dead, and that all my tears will not bring him back to me. So I am resolved to mourn no more, and have therefore invited you to sup with me. But I am tired of the wines of China, and would fain taste those of Africa. The magician flew to his cellar, and the princess put the powder Aladdin had given her in her cup. When he returned, she asked him to drink her health in the wine of Africa, handing him her cup in exchange for his, as a sign she was reconciled to him. Before drinking, the magician made her a speech in praise of her beauty, but the princess cut him short, saying, Let us drink first, and ye shall say what ye will afterwards. She set her cup to her lips and kept it there, while the magician drained his to the dregs and fell back, lifeless. The princess then opened the door to Aladdin and flung her arms around his neck. But Aladdin went to the dead magician, took the lamp out of his vest, and bade the genie carry the palace and all in it back to China. This was done, and the princess in her chamber felt only two little shocks and little thought she was home again. The sultan, who was sitting in his closet, mourning for the loss of his daughter, happened to look up and rubbed his eyes, for there stood the palace as before. He hastened thither and Aladdin received him in the hall of four-and-twenty windows with the princess at his side. Aladdin told him what had happened and showed him the dead body of the magician that he might believe. A ten-day's feast was proclaimed, and it seemed as if Aladdin might now live the rest of his life in peace. But it was not meant to be. The African magician had a younger brother, who was, if possible, more wicked and more cunning than himself, He traveled to China to avenge his brother's death and went to visit a pious woman called Fatima, thinking she might be of use to him. He entered her cell and clapped a dagger to her breast, telling her to rise and do his bidding on pain of death. He changed clothes with her, colored his face like hers, put on her veil, and murdered her that she might tell no tales. Then he went towards the palace of Aladdin, and all the people, thinking he was a holy woman, gathered round him kissing his hands, begging his blessing. When he got to the palace, there was such a noise going on round him that the princess bade her slave look out the window and ask what was the matter. The slave said it was the holy woman, curing people by her touch of their ailments, whereupon the princess, who had long desired to see Fatima, sent for her. On coming to the princess, the magician offered up a prayer for her health and prosperity. When he had done, the princess made him sit by her, and begged him to stay with her always. The false Fatima, who wished for nothing better, consented, but kept his veil down for fear of discovery. The princess showed him the hall and asked what he thought of it. It is truly beautiful, said the false Fatima, but my mind wants one thing. And what is that? said the princess. If only a rock's egg, replied he, were hung up from the middle of this dome, it would be the wonder of the world. After this, the princess could think of nothing but the rock's egg, and when Aladdin returned from hunting, he found her in a very ill humor. He begged to know what was amiss, and she told him that all her pleasure in the hall was spoilt for the want of a rock's egg hanging from the dome. If that is all, replied Aladdin, you shall soon be happy. He left her and rubbed the lamp, and when the genie appeared, commanded him to bring a rock's egg. The genie gave such a loud and terrible shriek that the hall shook. Wretch, he cried, it is not enough that I have done everything for you, but you must command me to bring my master and hang him in the midst of this dome. You and your wife in your palace deserve to be burnt to ashes, but that this request does not come from you, but from the brother of the African magician, whom you destroyed. He is now in your palace disguised as the holy woman whom he murdered. He it was who put that wish in your wife's head. Take care of yourself, for he means to kill you. So saying, the genie disappeared. Aladdin went back to the princess, saying his head ached, and requesting that the Holy Fatima should be fetched to lay her hands on it. But when the magician came near, Aladdin, seizing his dagger, pierced him in the heart. "'What have you done?' cried the princess. "'You have killed the Holy Woman!' "'Not so,' replied Aladdin, but a wicked magician, and told her of how she had been deceived. After this, Aladdin and his wife lived in peace." He succeeded the sultan when he died and reigned for many years, leaving behind him a long line of kings. Thanks for listening to this minisode about the movie Aladdin. Now, before we wrap things up today, I thought it'd be fun to look at some quick trivia facts about the classic Disney film. Earlier in the episode, I mentioned that Linda Larkin voiced one of the main characters Princess Jasmine. While it's true, Linda didn't sing any of Princess Jasmine's songs. She only did the voice acting. It was the amazingly talented Leah Salonga who sang Princess Jasmine's songs. Leah was also the singing voice for another Disney movie that we've covered here on Based on a True Story, 1998's Mulan. While we're talking about songs, Disney got in trouble for one of their songs from the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee or the AAA-DC. They took offense to the Arabian Nights song I was referring to before, the first song in the movie. When the movie was released to theaters in 1992, the lyrics for the song were, Oh, I come from a land from a faraway place, where the caravan camels roam, where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. The AAA DC complained about the brutality implied in the lyrics, so when the movie was released to video after its run in theater, Disney changed the lyrics to Oh, I come from a land from a faraway place where the caravan camels roam, where it's flat and immense and the heat is intense. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. After the change, the AAADC still didn't like that they kept the barbaric line in there, but Disney insisted it was in reference to the heat. Legendary animator Glenn Keane was the animation supervisor on Aladdin. Everyone knows how important Disney's princesses are, and under his keen eye, Glenn wanted the character of Aladdin to show why the princesses fell in love with Disney's princess. Up until Aladdin, most of the princes had just been there, not really much character to them other than just being the love interest of the princess. They wanted that to change with Aladdin. Speaking of characters, Eric Goldberg was the animation supervisor for Robin Williams' character, Genie. When co-directors Ron Clements and John Musker approached Eric on how he should animate the big blue character, they told him that they really wanted to get Robin Williams to be the voice of the character but he hadn't agreed to do it yet. So they told Eric to go grab some old Robin Williams comedy albums and bring the Genie to life as if he were saying them. They showed that to Robin Williams, who loved it, and signed the deal to voice Genie. Then, as Robin recorded his lines, he'd do dozens of takes for many of them as he ad-libbed and made things up on the fly in the recording booth. The animators then sifted through them to find the ones they liked best for the final shot. Oh, and by the way, Eric Goldberg was also the director on another movie we covered here on Based on a True Story, 1995's Pocahontas. Speaking of the real people that animators had in mind for characters, Aladdin himself was based on Tom Cruise. He wasn't voiced by Tom Cruise, of course, but they really liked how confident Tom looked in photographs, so they used that as inspiration to make Aladdin be confident, too. But the team at Disney didn't get everyone they wanted for the movie. Remember Jafar's parrot, Iago? How could you not? It's hard to forget any character voiced by Gilbert Gottfried. But Gilbert wasn't the first choice for the role. That role was turned down by both Joe Pesci and Danny DeVito. And, last but certainly not least, after Robin Williams' famous role as Genie, almost just as famous was his refusing to return to the role in the sequel to Aladdin. He was replaced by Dan Castellaneta, the guy who voices Homer Simpson. But... That had a lot of people wondering, why did Robin Williams refuse to return as Genie? A lot of people think it had to do with the money. After all, Robin Williams made a total of $75,000 for his role as Genie. That's not much, considering Aladdin has made about $500 million overall. In an interview after the movie was released, Robin Williams explained why he didn't want to work with Disney anymore, and it had nothing to do with money. He said, quote, we had a deal. The one thing I said was, I will do the voice. I'm doing it basically because I want to be part of this animation tradition. I want something for my children. One deal is, I just don't want to sell anything. As in Burger King, as in toys, as in stuff. Then, all of a sudden, they release an advertisement. One part was the movie. The second part was where they used the movie to sell stuff. Not only did they use my voice, they took a character I did and overdubbed it to sell stuff. That was the one thing I said. I don't do that. That was the one thing where they crossed the line." So, it seemed Robin Williams believed Disney breached their contract. But, for what it's worth, a Disney spokesperson replied to Robin's claims, saying that, quote, Every single piece of marketing material involving Robin Williams was run by Marsha, Robin Williams' wife, and Robin Williams. We did not use his voice in any way that he did not contractually agree to. He agreed to the deal. Then, when the movie turned out to be a big hit, he didn't like the deal he had made." Later on, Disney tried to repair the relationship by sending Robin Williams a painting by artist Pablo Picasso. And while he didn't return as Genie, Robin did work with Disney again. For example, in Old Dogs, a 2009 live-action comedy alongside John Travolta. And that brings us to an end of this minisode. Although, in the end, I guess it didn't really turn out to be very mini, did it? (laughs) Well, if you're a base on a True Story producer, you'll know that's just how it goes sometimes. I call them mini-sodes because some of the episodes are only 5-10 to ten minutes long, while others, like this one, are much, much longer. It all really just depends on the movie that we're covering. But if you enjoyed this special bonus episode, I hope you'll consider becoming a producer for the show. It really does help me cover the ongoing costs of the show and, to help me keep buying all the books and research material that's needed to keep the show alive. Again, you can sign up for that over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com dot com slash support. Once again, that's basedonatruestorypodcast.com dot com slash support. When you sign up there, you'll get access to the producers' feed that you can replace the public feed in your podcast app of choice, and get all of the normal episodes you're getting now alongside all of the bonus episodes as they're released. Thanks so much for your support. Now, the last thing I do each week on the minisodes for the producer feed is to give a first peek at the movie that we'll be covering on the next week's episode. So, next week, we'll be covering the 2018 film The Catcher Was a Spy, that's the movie about Major League Baseball player Mo Berg, who played 15 seasons in the Majors from 1923 to 1939. Then, soon after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, Moe spent World War II as a spy for the United States, and hence the title of the movie. But we'll learn more about that next week. Thanks again so much for your support, and until next time, have a great week.